Amen. We well, just want to thank you again for joining us, those of you who are uh, part of our online campus today, and those of you who are here with us at our in-person service. Glad that we get to all be together. We have been going through the study of the book of Acts over the last many weeks, and today we find ourselves on Acts chapter 17. And one of the core aspects of Acts, uh, of Acts 17 is about decisions, how to make decisions. Anyone here have to make a decision in this upcoming week at all? You do. What are you going to have for lunch? It's a big decision most of the time. Anyone had to make any big decisions over the last six months? We probably all have, right? You've had to make decisions on how do I engage in work, or now I'm homeschooling my kids who used to be in school and now they're not. And maybe if you're a business manager or owner, uh, you've had to make decisions about what does your workplace look like? How do you uh, keep your employees engaged over this period of time that they're all at home? Do you wear pants on the Zoom call or not? These are like decisions that we have all faced and had to make, haven't we? Anyone have any big decisions coming up? Yeah, you probably have, have big decisions coming up. Those of you, some of you are trying to decide, do I send my children to school or do I homeschool them? Or do we do online learning? Or uh, how do I get a new job because I've been laid off? Or a whole slew of things, right? We have decisions that we make. Anyone in here at any point in their life ever make a bad decision? Online, have you ever made a bad decision before? Yeah, we've probably all made bad decisions. And what's interesting is that when we make good decisions, we celebrate them like, yeah, I made a good decision. As if that should be something celebrated and not normalized, right? Like we should make good decisions more often. One of my uh, uh, favorite flicks to watch is Michael J. Fox, Back to the Future. I used to love this series growing up as a kid. There was just something fascinating about like, as a, you know, a teenager or a kid in elementary of like, there's going to be a hoverboard one day, you know, things like that, like the whole series. But like, imagine yourself, like if you could go back in time and you could go reach your 16, 17, 18 year old self, what would you say to that person? Would you, you know, would you say like, don't date that person? Don't date her. Don't date him. Would you say, you know, uh, don't take that job or don't smoke that. It's not worth it. We probably all would tell us ourselves something if we went back in time. But the thing is, is we don't get to go back in time, do we? We can't go back in time and tell our younger self something not to do, but we can learn how to make better decisions today. So how we make better decisions. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 17. The Apostle Paul goes to three different cities. He goes to Thessalonica, Berea, and Athens. And he gives the gospel message to these three different cities, the same message, but the, each city and the people there responds differently. One city, uh, the people in there respond in anger. One responds with kind of like more questions, and uh, I'm not sure I believe you. And the third city, they are transformed forever. So it's not necessarily about how the message is presented, but so much more about how do you respond to the message presented to you. So first big thing is, like we've already talked about, everyone has to make decisions. 
We all have to make decisions. And it's easy sometimes for Christians to become kind of fatalist in their mindset, which is essentially saying something like, there's no real free will, and I'm just like a log floating down the river of life wherever God wants to take me. That is uh, something that God never really shows us in the Bible. That God gave us a brain, he gave us free will, and that if, if the fatalist mentality were true, he would have never put words in the Bible like, listen or obey. Those are words that, that uh, elicit a, a response in us to make a decision to do something or to not do something. Some decisions we make are really small. Some decisions we make are really big. And some of the smallest decisions that can seem insignificant may be some of the most significant in our life. For example, are you going to follow God or not? Will you follow God? Joshua tells us this in Joshua 24. He says, choose today. You decide. You make the decision for whom you will serve. And what he's talking about there is he's talking about God. Are you going to serve God or not? Will you decide to follow God? That's a decision you get to make. Another instance we see in the Bible is about our finances. You get to decide what you do with your money. You can be stupid with it or you can be wise with it. You can choose how much to give or how much not to give. Paul tells the Corinthian church, you must decide in your heart how much to give. You decide. These are just two uh, issues that we see in the Bible that God tells us, you decide. You make the choice. It's up to you. You're the one who will ruin your own life or not. It's not going to be God who ruins your life. It's your decisions. So, most of us, though, get trapped in three different scenarios when we think about decision-making. And the first one is this, is that some people are careless with the decisions that they make. If you're younger, this is probably you. Not all the time, but if you're younger, this is you. You're careless about the decisions that you make. And what's sad is when you see people uh, with more age still continuing to be uh, careless with their decisions. But sometimes we've become so flippant in our decision-making. Remember when YOLO was a big deal? YOLO, right? Remember that? That's why some married people are flying solo, because they made some really stupid, careless decisions. And that, that happens when you're careless about what you think. Um, there was uh, this commercial that Milky Way put out that I thought was really funny a few years back. I don't even remember it. But it was like this big biker guy getting a tattoo done. He was getting it, uh, no regrets tattooed on his arm. But then the tattoo artist messed up and it says no regrets. <laughs> you remember that? It's like no regrets, right? Like we can be really careless with the decisions that we make. Proverbs 13, 16 says, wise people think before they act. Fools don't. That Making good, wise decisions involves thinking and deciding, making decisions. And it says fools don't, and they even brag about their foolishness. Wisdom involves that. So this means that you listen to what your coworkers, your friends, people in your school when you go back to your campus in the fall, at hopefully at some point, you listen to what your friends talk about Monday morning. What was the weekend like? And if they brag about their foolishness, that doesn't mean anything other than they're not being that wise with their life. And they brag about like, oh, I got totally trashed this last weekend, or like, I got totally wasted. 
You know, imagine that being like, replace the person with a car, right? If someone said like, oh, I got my car totally wrecked this last weekend. I just totally trashed my car, man. It was just like wasted by the end of the weekend. You'd be like, wow, you're really dumb. You just like, you know, totaled your car, you know, over a weekend. Like that was a really dumb decision. And they would brag about it. You'd be like, that's dumb. But all of a sudden when we talk about it, let's say with our own life, like, oh, I got totally wasted. Then it's not uh, a foolish decision. No, not at all. Fools brag about their foolishness. So some people are careless. They get caught up in just careless decision making, not really caring about the future, what, you know, the uh, money means to you or this or that. And that's, you know, part of that is inexperience. Part of that is you don't really have big decisions to make yet. And life is a really, really good teacher. Older people, amen? Amen, right? Here's a second group of people is you can be careless or you can be paralyzed by decision making. Ever heard of the phrase, you know, paralysis by analysis? You know what I'm talking about? That you can become paralyzed by the decisions. If you're under 30, this life has gotten really difficult, right? And I'm sorry about that. Life is hard sometimes. You know, at one point, life was like a happy meal, right? Your parents took you there. They bought you the happy meal. And the, the, the deciding factor was, do you want a hamburger or do you want chicken nuggets? It was, a, you know, it's, it's tough growing up, right? But then all of a sudden, once like you, uh, you know, enter into like your college age, life becomes less like a happy meal and much more like the cheesecake factory. It's like the menu is gargantuan and huge. It's like, what do I eat? And you know what the servers come up? Anyone been to the cheesecake factory? You know what they say when you go there and the waiter comes up? They say, have you had enough time to look over our menu yet? That's what they say. Because it's that big, and the decision that you have to make is that extreme, right? Like, there's, have literally everything on here. And all of a sudden, you become paralyzed by, what am I going to do? And life gets hard. What am I supposed to do with my life? What is this? And that's a lot of times what, like, college is. For those of you who are college students, it's like, college is like the cheesecake factory of your life decisions, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to be? And the problem is, is if we don't learn to make good decisions, and if you don't make a good decision, you become paralyzed by decisions, what happens is other people make your the decisions for you. Then you have other people saying, well, you just do this or do that. Or life, just because it plays itself out, makes a decision for you instead. This is why Jesus says in, in Luke 12, he says, why can't you decide for yourself what is right? You need to have, like, use the brain that God gave you to make good decisions. You decide what is right. So God gave us this moral compass for a reason. He gave you a brain for a reason. And there's a reason that God one day will hold all of us accountable for every single decision that you make. The most insignificant small decision to the biggest decisions of your life. He will hold you accountable because he gave you a moral compass and because he gave you a brain to make decisions. Here's a third group. And the third group, outside of the careless and people who are paralyzed, this group is the hardest group to speak to. This is the, the group that is the most difficult to reach because they're prideful about decision making. They're prideful. And it's prideful people that are hardest to reach because it's almost impossible to reach through like the thick-headed skull of a, of a brain you have there and like the steel trap of a heart that no matter what I say, no matter what I present or anyone else, 
you're right and they're wrong. That you have all of life figured out. You think you know what's best. You think you know how to do it. And you have it all down. And what ends up happening is that you would rather have life teach you in really difficult ways than listen to other wise people in your life to avoid an obstacle. And the pride is what a lot of times it, uh, it becomes the most dangerous thing to you, to your spouse, to your children, and to your friends and family around you because other people ultimately will get hurt through it. It's people who are prideful. And this was the people of Thessalonica. So now that we're on Acts, all right? Now that we're on Acts, this was the people of Thessalonica. These people, and maybe you've never heard of Thessalonica, that's okay. Thessalonica at the time was the capital of Greece. So when Rome had came in and conquered all, they had deemed Thessalonica the capital. So they invested a lot of money. There was a lot of powerful people there. There was a lot of, a lot of good thinkers there. And these people were very prideful in who they thought they were. Like, we are the capital of Rome. We're the capital or capital of Greece. Like, look at us. Look at our money. Look at all of this stuff. They thought they had it all figured out. And Athens, you've probably heard of Athens, right? This is where Plato, Aristotle, Socrates came from. They invented the Olympics, and they have all the, you know, architecture and philosophy and art and all the different stuff. It's really, really, you've probably heard of that. It's really good. And they thought Paul was an idiot. They were arrogant about who they were. But it was the third city that we'll look at is the people of Berea who listened and heard God's word. They heard what God had for their life, even though they were smart, educated people in Greece, and their lives were transformed forever. And that's my prayer for you today, is that your life, you would hear God's word, and you'd be transformed forever. So the Apostle Paul, he goes to Thessalonica. He goes there, and he's preaching this gospel, and some people started to believe what he had to say, and they, were, they thought this was maybe a, a good idea. But then most people became jealous and angry. And through their jealousy and anger, they stirred up a riot. And in this riot, they drove Paul and Silas out. So then Paul and Silas, they go to the city of Berea. And as they're there, they meet the Berean people and they present the same message to them. But the Thessalonians, they heard that Paul was in Berea and they were still angry and the riot and mob went there. And as Paul was in Berea, People's lives were changed. They believed, and they were forever changed. But then as the Thessalonians came in, they, like, kicked them out and drove them away. And then this is where Paul finds himself. He gets uh, driven out of Berea, and he finds himself in Athens. And while he's there, while Paul is in Athens, if you see in Acts chapter 17, you can, I'm paraphrasing a lot, but you can see this for yourself. While Paul's there in Athens, he ends up getting in an argument with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So the Epicurean philosophers at the time in Athens were the people that just thought like, you know, they lived by the like, kind of like YOLO principle, right? You only live once. Or like, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll. That was kind of their life. Like anything that is pleasurable and good, you know, fulfill it to the max. That was the Epicurean philosophers at the time. And then there was the Stoic philosophers. The Stoic philosophers were a little bit different than the Epicureans in the sense that what they thought was if you could more like suppress and you could manage some of the pleasures, you actually were maybe more of like a noble person or could kind of have a higher uh, standing or what, whatnot. Either way, you know, he gets into this argument with these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. He kind of argues so good and like, maneuvers logically so well 
that some of the highest people or the highest people in Greece want to hear what Paul has to say. And these people were from the Supreme Court, which was called the Aragopagus. The Aragopagus was like the highest level of educated people in all of Athens. These were the smartest of the smart. These were like some of the greatest minds and thoughts of people came from, came from that we still think and use today. And so Paul finds himself in this court of the Aragopagus, which is the smartest people in the world. We'll just put it that way. Um, and so here he is. And so these people at the time, they were thinkers. They were learners. They wanted to think and learn about new ideas. They had only heard maybe grumblings about Jesus. They had never heard of what the gospel was, other than they heard about some things that were taking place. So these thinkers were like, well, maybe he has something good. Let's hear him out. And so Paul addresses these people, the Aragopagus, and he delivers one of the best arguments for faith that doesn't involve scripture. Paul here, you'll notice as we read this, he doesn't quote scripture once. And the reason for this, which most people think, is because the men of Athens, the women of Athens, they didn't know scripture. It meant nothing to them. So he actually uses a way to argue for God's existence and his rule and authority over their life without using scripture. And so here's what we read in verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens... I noticed that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. And in the Greek language where that uh, means, that word essentially means, um, uh, now I'm blanking, um, agnostic. So this is where we get the, the phrase agnosticism from. It's people who believe that there is a God, but he's unknowable. You, you can't know, I can't know him, and you probably can't either, but he's probably there. And so this was this Greek god that they had come up with, which is this uh, agnostic god, and that's where we have that. And many people today still believe that. They still have this agnostic uh, belief in which there is a god out there, but he's unknowable. And so he says, this god whom you worship without knowing is the one who I'm going to tell you about. So he's saying, even though you have all these other gods here, there's this God that you present that is this agnostic God that is unknowable. That's the God I'm going to tell you about. It's the God that you worship that you don't even know is there or that you think he might be there. So he says, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. And that's what we're here at North Church about too. We are here to present to the community and to you about the God who made everything in the world and everything that we know about it. That's who we are presenting, who is Jesus Christ. Um, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man's temples. And human hands can't serve his needs. At one point, God did live in the temple and he resided there. But then as uh, Jesus lived on earth and he died and he rose again, the, the, the need for the temple was no longer had. And that God now resides in our hearts and in our lives, and that we have become the temple of the living God. And so he says that uh, human, human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need your love and affection. That within the triune nature of, the, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he fulfills all needs for himself within himself. He doesn't need anything from you. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need. 
From one man, he created all, the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and determined their boundaries. So God had, he created the world. And then he created all these people in his nations. And in verse 27 says, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. That he's saying that all these people, their purpose was to seek after God, all these nations. And maybe that's even why you're here today or why you're watching online. That you're seeking after God. Who is this God? Can I know him? Can I not? Is God even real? That people are still seeking. And what he's presenting to these, the men of Athens here is that you're even seeking where God is. And then listen what he says to these pagan believers, people who didn't believe at all. He says that even though you've been seeking after him, though he is not far from any of us. Even though all people in the world are seeking after God, he's not far from any one of you. He's right in front of you. And that's what I want to tell you today, that even though you might be seeking after God, and you might feel like he is eons and light years away, he's right here, right now, and you can know him today. He says, for in him we live and we move and we exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as any idol designed by craftsmen or gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sin and turn to him. That's the, the command and the call of Christ, is that he died for you and that to repent of your sin, turn to him and you will be saved. And then he says, for he has set a day, he has set a day, there is a time and a place in the future. He has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him to the, from the dead. He was talking about Jesus. That there is a day in the future that God will judge you, like I said, upon every single decision you make. Every good, every bad decision you make. And he will judge the entire world. And so we have decisions to make that are paramount, that are pivotal, not only this life, but for eternity to come. That God's going to judge you, and it's your decision to follow Jesus or not. And then it goes on in Acts uh, 17, 32. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, talking about Jesus, some laughed in contempt. And maybe that's you, been you before. You thought about religion, you thought about Christianity, you thought about Jesus, and you laughed in it. Like, oh, that's a bunch of, you know, hogwash. Like, who, who cares about that? Like, yeah, that's a bunch of weird stuff. No one needs that. Maybe you have laughed in contempt at Jesus as well. But then here it ended. Um, and some people said, we want to hear more about this later. But that ended Paul's discussion with them, which meant that the highest people in the court said, no, we're done with this. And they never got to hear the gospel presented again. And it says, but some joined him and became believers, which is awesome. Praise the Lord that some of those men in Athens became believers, but it also means that most didn't. Most laughed at it. And today, even though some were saved, it also means that most are spending an eternity apart from God. And so we need to learn to make better decisions. Even in spite of all the intelligence that the Athenians had 
and all the learning that they had, they made a critical error in rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ, which separated them from God forever. And so we need to make better decisions. And in order to make better decisions, we need to live and follow what the Bereans did. So what did they do? Here's just simple. They kept an open mind. So for us to make better decisions, keep an open mind, listen to godly counsel, and search the scriptures for truth. So first thing, keeping an open mind. We look at Acts 17, verses 10 through 12, the account of when Paul is with the Bereans. It says, that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. They were open-minded. Now, for some of us, we feel like open-mindedness is not a Christian principle. For some of us, we feel like open-mindedness is kind of like worldly, and it's kind of like, you know, new age or whatever. Like, you just got to keep an open mind to like all paths lead to heaven. No, that's not the open-mindedness in which we're talking about. We're talking about having an open mind to good counsel, good thought, and what the scripture says. That we keep an open mind of what does God want to do. And what's interesting is that even though the Athenians, with all their intelligence, and they had kind of presented, like, we would like to hear what you have to say, even though they were the ones claiming to be open-minded, in the end, they were the most closed-minded and stubborn when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see that in our world today, too. You can go to most universities, in which claim to be the most open-minded, yet become the most closed-minded when it comes to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we need to keep an open mind. It's actually a Christian principle to keep an open mind to what God might have to say. Proverbs 12 says, fools think their own way is right. Fools think, I have this all figured out. Fools say, I don't need help or I don't need to keep an open mind of what God might want to do in my own life. Second thing, in order to live and be like the Bereans, is listen to godly counsel. Listen to godly counsel. Some of the worst decisions I have ever made, I made on my own. Amen? You've been there too? You didn't ask anyone. You just went and did it. And that was probably some of the worst decisions that you made. Or that you made with another person that just affirmed your stupid decision. Ever been there? Mm -hmm. That one friend that you ask and they always tell you what you're doing is right? No. Wrong. You don't listen to that person. If they kind of live by the Nike slogan, just do it, kick them out of your life, all right? They're a bad influence on you. That we need to listen to godly counsel. But why don't we? Because usually we don't want it. We don't want to hear what other people might have to say to us. Listen to godly counsel. Proverbs 20 says, plans succeed through good counsel. So here's what happens in Berea, right? And the people were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. That means they like leaned in, right? Like, well, what do you have to say right now? I'm going to lean in and eagerly listen to what God might say right here through this person. This seems like a godly man. He seems like he, you know, he was really wants the best for me and for the world and the church. What does he have to say? And so they eagerly listened to godly counsel. Psalms 37, 30 says, the godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong, which means that a godly person will help you in your life. A godly person won't just affirm stupid decisions, stupid financial decisions, right? You go shopping with a friend and they just say, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. Stupid decision, right? 
don't, that's not the right thing. Some of you need to get rid of people around you that are causing you to make stupid, foolish decisions. If you have someone that affirms how you live foolishly, and that you come back after the weekend together, and on Monday you're bragging with one another, other people, about the stupid, foolish decisions you made, bad friend, okay? You need to get rid of them. Your friends are the biggest indicator, the number one indicator of what your life will look like in the future. What your life will look like a year, two, three years, five years, ten years from now. You look at the people around you who you have said, I'm inviting you in to talk to, you know, to uh, uh, help me make decisions, be my friend, have fun with all the stuff. You look at those people, that is the biggest indicator of what your life will be. If all, you know, if all you do is not spiritually grow together and you just have fun and you drink and you party, that will be that way for a very long time. And you will continually make stupid decisions. But if you bring godly people around you that build you up and they, and they show you a different way to live, that's where like the Bereans, they eagerly listened to Paul's message. But they didn't just stop there. It wasn't just, I'm going to be open-minded and I'm going to listen to godly counsel. They did something that was really, really important here, which is they searched the scriptures for truth. Acts 11, it tells us here, it says that they eagerly listened to Paul's message and they searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men, which means that just because they presented this, they didn't all just go like in an emotional state saying, I'm in. They, They like day and night, they scoured the scriptures to make sure is Paul and Silas, what they're telling us about Jesus and all these things, is it true? And they said, and they came to the conclusion themselves, yes, this is true, I believe, and I'm saying yes. That's what they did. They eagerly listened, and then they searched the scriptures. What this also means for us is that we need to do that too. We need to search the scriptures for truth. That means that you can get really bad advice from a spouse. You can get really bad advice from your life group. You can get really bad advice from a parent. You can get really bad advice from a pastor. It's just the truth. And we have probably at all at different times experienced that ourselves. We've experienced the result of trusting someone who gave you bad advice, and then you're the one who suffered the consequence for it. And part of the reason is, is because you never search the scripture, was, is that true? Is that true? And so for us, it means that just because someone presents something to you, search. So I would present that to you right now. Search the scripture. Search the scripture about what we're talking about here. Every week, like examine it. Allow it to speak to you as much as you allow other people to speak to you. And the Athenians, despite all their knowledge and whatnot, they thought it was all a joke. And they rejected the gospel And they're suffering for it. But it was because of the Bereans in which they searched the scripture. They kept an open mind and they eagerly listened to godly counsel. That many of them said yes to Jesus. And you know what? Some of you have decisions to make today. Some of you have been making really poor decisions as of late. And some of you are trying to make a decision right now. Do I move forward and continue with that affair? Some of you are making decisions, do I get drunk again tonight or not? 
Some of you are making decisions, do I clean my life up or do I continue to suffer from substance abuse? Some of you have to make decisions on what you do with your family coming into this fall. Some of you have to make decisions on what you do with your job or your workplace or those of you who are business owners or moms or teachers. All of us have decisions to make in our life. And my prayer for you is that you're not just careless about the decisions you make in life. Because one day, they will haunt you. My prayer for you is also that you're not just paralyzed by the decisions that are faced in front of you, but you move forward with good counsel. You move forward by examining the scripture. And you move forward by keeping an open mind of what God might have for you. My prayer is also those of you who are prideful and you're stubborn and you're arrogant, that God somehow pierces the deepest part of your heart and reveals to you that you're not always right. That God is transforming people today. He's been transforming people and he will always continue to do that. But it's our decision. It's up to you. Choose for yourself today whom you will serve. It's up to you. And what I love about what we're moving into right now is we get to celebrate with people who have chosen to follow Jesus. They were like the Bereans. They were presented the gospel and through their self-examination and an open mind and godly counsel, they're saying yes to Jesus today. They're saying yes to him through the act of water baptism. That is an awesome thing that we all get to participate as a community of believers together. That we get to rejoice with them in the decisions that they're making. But even though that's fun and that's awesome and we get to celebrate and we're just about to do that, you still have a decision for yourself to make today. And for some of you, it's just dumb decisions you need to get rid of. Others, it's, you know, other things going on in your life. And I believe that if you, if you truly keep an open mind, you're eager for godly counsel and you search scriptures, God is going to show you the right decisions to, for you to make. But I do not want to ensure that we leave here without those of you who have never said yes to Jesus today. Just like Paul and the men of Athens or the people of Thessalonica, that if you've never said yes to Jesus, if you're at home right now and you have never said yes to him, I want to present you an opportunity right now that you get a choice to make. You have a decision to make. Am I going to say yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect and sinless life and then he bore a punishment and death in which he did not deserve that I or you or other people should have been there instead. But he took that on. He died on the cross. And by doing so, he took on all the sin of the world. And then he was buried and God raised him from death to life. And that he offers us a decision, a choice, that we can live eternally separated from him or through an act of faith, and through an act of just in your own heart and mind, that the Bible tells us that if we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, we will be saved forever. You can be like the people of Berea today if you say yes to Jesus. And so if that's you, whether you're here in person with us or you're at home, I want to offer you that choice right now. And so if we, would all, if we could all just pray together. And just as we pray, it's a very simple prayer. Um, you don't have to know it all. But here's, if you would just pray this in your own heart and your own mind. If that's you and you're wanting to say yes to Jesus right now, pray this with me. God, I don't know everything. But what I do know 
is I need you. Would you forgive me of my sin? I believe that you died on the cross for me. Would you come into my heart? Would you come into my life? Make me new. Make me a new creation. I want to follow you as Lord and Savior of my life for as long as I live. And as we're here still praying, if that was you and you, and you made that decision, and whether you're online, would you say you said yes in the chat or would you click the button that says, I raise my hand and make a decision for faith right now? Or for you in person, just as we're still praying, as a first act of boldness saying yes to Jesus, would you just lift your hand saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus today? Good. Yes. Good. God, we just want to celebrate the lives who said yes to you today. In person and online, Lord, you see each and every person. God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. God, we pray that we would follow you and make good, sound decisions throughout our life. Let us be like the Bereans. We want to live for you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we get to celebrate people in uh, baptism right now who have said yes to Jesus. So we're going to do that. We're going to continue to worship. And I uh, just want to encourage you as people get baptized, celebrate with us today for those who are making this public declaration. thought by now they'd fall for you have never failed me yet waiting for change to come knowing the battles won for you have never still stands great is your faithfulness faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you've never failed me yet I know the night won't last Your will will come to pass My heart will sing your praise again Jesus, you're still 
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You've never failed me yet. Thank you again for joining us this morning. We are so glad you took the time to be with us. If the message impacted you or if you said yes to Jesus for the first time, we would love to hear from you, pray with you, and connect with you. There are pastors that are ready to engage with you. Just click that prayer link at the bottom of your screen and pastors are ready to engage with you around this. Yes, we want to celebrate that moment with you because we believe that might be the greatest decision you'll ever make saying yes to Jesus. And we honestly believe here at North Church 
in the power of connecting people into healthy and growing relationships. And we want to help you be a part of the life and mission here at North Church. And so if that's something you're interested in, a great next step would be clicking the connect tab at the top of the screen so that we can get connected with you. Another way to do that is to visit us at our website at northchurch.net or connect with us on social media. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.